Let's pray together. Our Father, as Ben and Eva were playing, you reminded me there's no insufficiency of your grace. But if we refuse to bow the knee, we'll not get the benefit of your grace. We thank you that you are never in question. If there's a power shortage, it's never on our uh, it's never on your end. It's always on our end, Lord. It's not because the power is not there. It's not because the resources are not there. And furthermore, as they were playing, you reminded me of the still small voice. You're not in the earthquake. Not in some sensational type of experience that we normally think of. Lord, we need to take time to be still. We need to take time to be quiet. We need to enter into our prayer closet. We need to be shut up just to you. And that's the best place any of us could ever be. And I pray as we uh, think about this message now about good works and grace and salvation, I pray there'd be something for every single person in this uh, particular time in your word. Lord, I pray that the manifestation of your spirit, the application of your word, the tangible realities of your son's life, may we not just get a check mark for another sermon. May we not just get a check mark for another time of being in church. Lord, may there be changes in our inner man to love you, to worship you, to obey you. The greatest work of all, the greatest good work of all takes place in the inner man. Lord, may it be today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to echo amen to what Mark said about these uh, meditations. They're such a blessing, so encouraging, so uplifting. And, and even uh, when uh, Justin was reading about um, our Lord Jesus Christ has abolished death. That is worth meditating on. Because God gives us grace. Uh, we just had a funeral yesterday, and uh, this has been uh, in my mind, uh, preparing for the, the funeral. Um, every one of us, God gives us grace in every season of our life. Uh, and by the way, uh, we need grace uh, not only all through the day, we need grace all through the night. Because years ago, people were telling me, when I was in my early days of my pastoral ministry, Pastor, I'm having trouble sleeping at night. And I didn't understand it. I understand it now. <laughs> and I understand uh, what it means to trust God for grace in the night season. In the night season for God's grace to be strong. Amen? I tell you, His grace is all sufficient. All sufficient, 24-7 whether it's the season of being a teenager, I used to hear for years, you know, just wait until your kids get to be a teenager. Listen, God's got grace for the teenager years. Amen. I mean, I wasn't waiting until they get to be the teenagers. I had needed grace for the other years, too. You know, it's all, you're always grace when you've got children. And, amen. And grandchildren. <laughs> I mean, if it's not a work of God by grace, it's not going to be accomplished. God's got to do the work. Amen. May grace be multiplied in every season of life. I've, I've uh, 
seen a lot of elderly folks uh, come to the latter season of their life and they ask the question, why am I still here? Does God have grace to be multiplied in that season of your life? And does God have grace for you to face death with boldness and courage and no fear? We just read, Justin just read that Jesus Christ has abolished death. Hebrews, I almost preached on this uh, during Christmas. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says that some people all their lifetime are in captivity because of fear of death. There's a lot of people in captivity because of fearing dying. From the perspective of a believer, we're not fearing dying. We're looking forward to dying. Matter of fact, it's even stronger than that. Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He says, I'm in, a, I'm in a straight between two. To stay on in this life is to make Christ known, and to depart this life is to be with him. It's a win-win situation. Amen? We are winners over death because Jesus Christ has conquered death. One of these days, death is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Amen. Now, you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that uh, this grace that God multiplies includes overcoming a fear of death. And every, uh, every one of us, uh, based on Ephesians 2, if you want to turn to Ephesians 2, we, we are not waiting to pass through the portal of death. We are not waiting to pass through that door. As a matter of fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ is in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, this is the gospel that saves you. 1 Corinthians 15, the first three verses. The gospel that saves you is that Christ died according to what? According to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures, the gospel that saves is the death, the burial, and what else? Resurrected life. And I want to ask you a question. At what point do you get everlasting life? A lot of people have it in their mind that one of these days we'll stand before the judgment and we'll find out if we have everlasting life. Jesus said in John 5, if you believe on me, you pass right now from death. Into what? Into life. And he says, you will not come into condemnation. Amen? I tell you, it's a wonderful thing when you know you're not condemned by God. It's a wonderful thing when you know you're not condemned by God right now. We're not waiting to see if we'll be condemned. Romans 8 says, there is therefore, what's the adverb? There is therefore now no condemnation. I tell you, the devil's got people captive that are living in condemnation. You'll never be free from whatever you need to be free from as long as you are captive by condemned, feeling like you are condemned. You don't feel like going on when you feel condemned. Amen? And through the glorious... Now, this is, uh, this is very important here about our identification Every person in life is trying to find their identity. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? 
Those are important questions. And the worst mistake you can make is to try to find your identity by comparing yourself with other people. As a matter of fact, the Lord said, he said, if you're trying to determine who you are by other people and comparing yourselves to other people, he says, you'll never know what the truth is. If you receive honor from men, if what men think of you is more important than what God thinks of you. Amen. And God wants to set us free from the fear, not only of death by his grace, he wants to set us free from the fear of man. He wants to set us free from the fear of man. What does man think of me? Listen, you can't be a bold witness for Christ and fear what man thinks of you. That's why the Lord uh, mentioned, he said, if you're ashamed to confess me before men, right, because you fear men, I will be ashamed to do what? Confess you before the Father. I tell you, uh, God, uh, he says, the Lord says, uh, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And he didn't say, as long as you take a soul winning course, you'll be witnesses unto me. And he didn't say that, right? He said, when you have the Holy Spirit within you, and you know you've been sealed with the Spirit, you know the uh, Holy Spirit is the down payment guarantee of your eternal life in Jesus Christ, a, a down payment of all the salvation work that God's accomplished, not only that God's already accomplished the penalty of sin being overcome, not only is God accomplishing the power of sin being overcome, but one day we're going to be free from the presence of sin. And the Holy Spirit within us is the guarantee that we belong to God. And I want to just say, once you have the Holy Spirit, you don't ever lose the Holy Spirit. You don't ever, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you know, David prayed, uh, take not your spirit from me. In the Old Testament, we don't ever have to worry to pray that way. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are absolutely guaranteed by God we belong to Him. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why Jesus said you must be born again of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to talk about this identification. How do you find yourself? If you, if you can't find yourself, you're not going to be able to do good works in Christ's name if you're still trying to figure out your own identity your own significance, your own purpose. The way you find yourself is to find yourself in the identification of your being in Christ and Christ being in you. That's how you find yourself. I love uh, the scripture. I, I actually was a scripture, one of the scriptures I gave Hattie Miller. Uh, I use it all the time for myself. I can do all things. Now, if I stop right there, it's humanism. Man thinks he can do all things, but he doesn't bring Jesus Christ into it. Amen? The, the believer says and knows with great courage and boldness, I can do all things because Christ lives in me. Amen? We're not talking about just his teachings. We're not just talking about his miracles. We're not just talking about the presentation of all he accomplished in his ministry. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ himself lives where? 
In us. That's what Colossians says. It's Christ in me. Christ in me that gives me the hope of the guarantee of God's glory. And victory over sin. Victory over death. Victory over the fear of man. Because I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I want to just say further, it's not the joy of what the Lord Jesus does for us that strengthens us. It's the joy of who he is. Amen. We ought to be able to say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If he decides to take away something, I guarantee he's got a good reason for it. To bring us into a deeper communion, a deeper fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only in Jesus Christ that you find the unsearchable riches of life. It reminds me of Proverbs where it says, The blessing of the Lord, talking about Jesus Christ living in you, the blessing of the Lord makes a man rich, and God adds no sorrow to it. I tell you, no amount of money in the world can guarantee you that. No amount of money in the world you could have can guarantee you no sorrow. Matter of fact, if, there's so many warnings in the Bible about having money that brings sorrow if you don't negotiate it properly by the grace of God. Amen? So we're talking about our identification with Jesus Christ. Now, Ephesians 2, you look at it with me. We're dead with him. We're not waiting to die. We're not waiting to pass through the portals of death. Galatians 2 puts it very plainly. I am crucified. It's not I shall be. I am crucified. With Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ died, who else died? I died. I'm not waiting to pass through that door. He took my place. He suffered the judgment of sin in his body. He identified with me. He identified with what I'm worthy of. Amen. And because he identified with me and my humanity, he led captivity captive. He led death captive. He led principalities and powers captive. He led everything captive. Everything. He has all authority in heaven and where else? On earth. I tell you, we are on the winning side in Jesus Christ. Sin has been atoned for. All my sin in the past. All my sin in the present. All my sin in the future. It's completely taken care of in the atoning, redempted, redemptive death of Jesus Christ. Because he was the lamb without blemish. There's never been, there's never been another man without blemish. It only takes one blemish. To be in torture for eternity. Most people think they're saved by keeping the law. You know. Well if you're going to be saved by keeping the law. Which the Bible's crystal clear on this. Crystal clear on this. Romans. Uh, when you read Romans. Uh, he spends three whole chapters proving that everybody's a sinner. And in the middle of those. At the end of those three chapters. He says therefore. By the deeds of the law. 
Somebody that thinks they can keep God's law and be saved that way, he says, therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. So if you're here today and you don't have assurance of your salvation because you think you've got to gain favor with God, gain merit with God, gain approval with God, somehow do good enough, somehow be good enough, listen, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ that we are desperate sinners. We are exceedingly great sinners. If I hooked up a, a tractor, top of the hill over here, hooked a chain to it down to the parsonage, and I had a wagon down there that had hay on it, and let's say there's 200 links in the chain, and I was going to use that tractor to pull that uh, wagon of hay, how many links of that chain would it take to break so that I would not be able to pull that tra- uh, uh, wagon? It would only take one link. How many blemishes in the Garden of Eden did it take to separate man from God? How many commandments were there? There's only one commandment. So you say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm saying, would you be willing to admit you've broken one commandment? Listen, it's far worse than that. It's far worse than that. Every chain link is blemished outside of Jesus Christ. The, uh, the, uh, uh, it tells us in uh, somewhere in the epistles, I can't think of it, I think it's in James, but it says if you have broken one law of God, you are guilty of breaking how much? All of God's law. Now, that is a crushing You say, just give me enough time, God. Just give me enough time. I'll pay it back. I'll pay it back. I'll make it up to you. I'll get my life straightened out. One of these days, I'll get it it right. Listen, if God gave you 10,000 lifetimes, you'll never get it right. This whole idea of death and reincarnation and death and reincarnation is not reality. It's appointed unto man once to die. And the only way to have acceptance with God is in Jesus Christ. If you're not in Christ and Christ is not in you, there is no acceptance with God because of the curse of the law. That's why he says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. And he says it twice. Not of yourselves, not of works, not of human effort, not of human production, Listen, everybody in in the world is looking for approval. That's part of the fear of man. Part of the fear of man is we all need approval. And we're desperately trying to get approval from men when we ought to be concerned about, do I have the approval of God? If I've got the approval of God, if God be for me, amen? If God be for me, who can be? Against me, my number one goal in life should be, am I pleasing to God? And I tell you, there's only way, one way to be pleasing to God. Two times, God the Father spoke from heaven, and he said, at his baptism and at the Mount of Transfiguration, two times, God the Father spoke, and he said, this is my beloved son, and I am what? Well, please. The only way God can say that about you or me is we've got to be in Christ. And Jesus Christ has got to be in us. Because the only 
There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says it pleased the Father. Don't ever think that men is who crucified Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. In Isaiah, it said, it pleased the Father to what? Bruise him. Because that was the only way you and I could be saved. That was the only way you and I could be forgiven. That was the only way we could have acceptance with God. This is what the grace of God is all about. And the reason why I'm making such a big noise about this is because if you think you're going to do good works to be saved, you'll never be able to do a good work. we got to get the foundation of this straight. I've got to realize I am not saved by good works. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved me. By the washing of being born again, regeneration, and by the constant renewing, constant working of the Holy Spirit, I tell you, God's got to constantly be saving us. The moment we put any trust in ourselves, we're going down to the muck and the mire. You talk about the multiplied grace of God and the constant working constantly saving work of the Holy Spirit. We need it every minute, every moment of every day. God has saved us. God is saving us. God's going to deliver us from the presence of sin. I tell you, salvation's got different parts to it. And I think that's part of the confusion about somebody thinking they can lose their salvation. When you are justified before God because of Jesus Christ being in you, that never changes. The Lord Jesus didn't say you must be born again and again and again and again and again and again. Amen? I tell you, once you are born again and you are justified in the sight of God, I tell you, that's a good place to be. Because once that happens, that is a fact for all eternity. In John chapter 10, the Lord said... You are in the Father's hand when, you're, when you've been born again. You're in the Father's hands, and nobody, no man, no thing can pluck you out of his hands. Listen, I'm not hanging on to God. He's hanging on to me. Amen? Salvation, if you get anything from the Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, salvation is a work of God. If you get anything, please get that. That's why I entitled the whole message, We Are His What? We're His Workmanship. From beginning to end, salvation is a work of God. And that's why I want to say, God help us to stop the rivalry, stop the jealousy, stop the competition, stop comparing ourselves to one another, stop trying to think I'm better than somebody else. This Scripture here says, sometimes I hear people say, well, I don't have much of a testimony. Well, my salvation testimony is not all that great. Listen, if you understand these verses, chapter 2 of Ephesians 1 through 10, you've got a great testimony. You've got a powerful testimony. Because every person outside of Jesus Christ is dead in sin. Now, if you're dead in sin... Let's say we got the luncheon coming up this Thursday. 
which by the way, we need people to sign up for. I didn't mention that, but <laughs> we need more help on that. Uh, what am I trying to say? I'm saying, all right, we need help with the luncheon. And so we got somebody's going to set the tables up. We got somebody's going to clean the floor. We got somebody's going to wash the dishes. We got somebody's going to prepare the food. We got somebody's going to pray. It takes a lot of people to have the luncheon ministry. Amen. So different ones of you step up to the plate, volunteer so God can do His work through us. Amen. But if somebody's right over here in the second row and they're dead, and I'm saying, listen, we need help for the lunch and ministry this week. Would you please help us? What can a dead man contribute to the equation? Now, if, if the Lord Jesus Christ raised that man from the dead, I guarantee you, man, he's going to be ready to do some good works in God's name. Amen? I tell you, you can't help but do good works when you know Jesus Christ has raised you from the dead, never to die again. That's why I say there's no fear in death for the believer. We're identified with him in his death. We're identified with him in his burial. We're identified with him in his resurrection. We're identified with him in his ascension. We are identified with him. It tells us right here that we are in the heavenly places already with him. In Philippians it says our citizenship. Where is our citizenship? In heaven. Listen, that's security. If you want to know you're saved, and if you want to know you can't lose your salvation, the Bible says that once you're in Christ, you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You're not waiting to see if you make it or not. Amen? And listen, if you're an insecure person, because you haven't found your identity, will you have trouble doing good works in the proper way? Because you'll be constantly trying to do good works to gain favor. To gain acceptance. But if Jesus Christ sets you free, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If he sets you free from the fear of man and the fear of death, then you will do good works out of love of Jesus Christ. Amen? And it, will not, it won't be good works that we're doing. It will be works that he is doing. It won't be my faith that produces anything. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, now careful, 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 I live by faith. Whose faith? The faith of the Son of God. None of us can work up faith. Amen? When he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, all, in the commentaries they're trying to figure out, does he mean the grace is not of yourself? Is the faith not of yourself? I, I think it's everything. I think it's everything. Everything good comes from God. There is none that does good apart from Jesus Christ. No, not one. So faith to believe God's got to enable me. I've got to have the faith of the Son of God. I've got to look to Jesus Christ to have faith. 
Uh, Hebrews says that he is uh, the author. It says we're to look to Jesus Christ because what is he? He's the author and what else is he? He's the finisher of what? Our faith. So if I'm going to have faith, I've got to look to him. I'm not going to somehow make a New Year's resolution. Man, this year is going to be different. And I'm going to try hard. I'm going to do better. I've got to see my desperate need. Listen, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm a dead man. When Jesus Christ saves you and me, he resurrects us from the grave. How can a dead man think about doing any good works at all? Now, a lot of people think they're doing good. On one occasion, uh, they, they call Jesus good master. You remember how he responded? He said, do you realize what you're saying by calling me good? For anybody to be good, they've got to be God. Because there is no human that does good. No, not one. And James says every good gift, every good, if there's any good going on in this world, it's got to come down. It's not ever us going up, which, by the way, I believe that's why God uh, rent the temple, the veil of the temple, I believe God purposely rent the veil of the temple from top to bottom. Because man thinks he's reaching up to God. There's no, uh, that's what religion is. Religion, that's what the fig leaves were in the Garden of Eden. Man's attempt to make his own, to make himself right with God. Is there still a bunch of fig leaves being sowed, sowed today? Listen, the Pharisees fasted. Some of us don't fast. They fasted. They gave. Some of us don't give as much as they gave. They were proud of what they gave. They had a form of religion and never knew the power of the life of Jesus Christ. I tell you, the most uh, deceived people in the world on one occasion, the Lord was talking about the, uh, the harlots in the world will enter into the kingdom of God before you self-righteous religious people because they will at least, to some extent, recognize their need. But the, the fact of the matter is, what one man has done, every man is capable of doing. So... I tried to be very careful pointing the finger at other men. And the reason why I try to be careful about doing that is because every time I get about time I'm doing that, God says, don't you realize you are the man? Don't you realize you are the man? When you point the finger, you condemn who? Yourself. Because of what I'm, the point I'm making here is in Ephesians 2, if you'll look at it with me, the problem is not just outwardly what we do. The problem is inwardly what we are. We need a Savior to rescue us, not, because we've trans not only because we've transgressed outwardly, we've got a broken down motor inside of us. Years ago, my aunt was... Uh, I, mean, I, was a, I was a young Christian, but I, I at least had been reading Ephesians chapter 2 at that time. It was so helpful to me. And my aunt was majoring in psychology. 
And she was uh, explaining to me that man's problem is his environment. And we just get man's environment straightened out, we'll get man straightened out. There's a lot of people in the world who just think man needs a little more education. That's what a lot of people think. Just get them educated. Or educate them about what they're not educated about. Listen, no amount of education in the world is going to save a man from sin's power. As a matter of fact, knowledge, if a man is just seeking knowledge apart from Jesus Christ, what does it do to him? It puffs him up so he's not even ready to respond to the grace of God. Amen? So when she said to me, man's problem is his environment, I said, um, I don't know if I even had any children that, uh, at that time. If somebody said that to me now, i say, look, let me tell you about what happens when you have children. The moment a child is born, the Bible says we, the wicked, that's every one of us now. It's not the person out there on the street that you think is so wicked. That's every one of us. The wicked go astray. When? When do the wicked go astray? We don't become a sinner when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Because we have a nature. We're born with a nature that is anti-God. We're born with a nature that is anti-Christ. Don't worry about anti-Christ coming one day. We got enough anti-Christ within self. Which is why Ephesians 2 says, before you get saved, you're living for self. That's what it says here. Not only are we captive by Satan's power, let's look at this in Ephesians 2. It talks about the course of this world and the the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? The prince of the power. Before you get saved, you're captive by the prince of the power of the air. I mean, this, this should, you talk, about, you talk about getting sober? I mean, we should really get sober about this. Man thinks he's free doing what he wants to do, and he's totally captive to the prince of darkness. I mean, the devil is a liar. And he is the father of... He doesn't care uh, if you think you're free or not. As long as he's got you. Matter of fact, the devil's way is a broad way. You can do whatever you want to do his way. But when you come to Jesus Christ, there's only one way. There's only one truth. Jesus said, don't... uh, Enter the broad gate. Enter what kind of gate? The narrow gate. That's, he said few people find life in this world or the next because they want the broad way. It's kind of like the commercial I've heard years ago. You can have it your way. That's exactly what the devil said. It doesn't matter whether it's drugs or material things that destroys you. It doesn't matter to him. Whatever you want to go for, as long as you don't go for Jesus Christ. If he can keep you in darkness, apart from Jesus Christ, captive, he's got you. And the gospel is realizing, I'm a sinner. I'm a wretched sinner. The charges that God has against me, if, anything, if anybody else has got anything against me, it is nothing compared to what God has against me. And by the way, that's why you and I should forgive each other. 
if we've been offended by somebody else, whatever that offense is, it's nothing compared to our offense against God. Amen? And you talk about being kept captive by the devil. I'm talking about us believers being kept captive now by the devil. The Bible says if you let the sun go down on your wrath and you don't forgive somebody, right? It says you give place to who? To the devil. And that's believers. We're not talking about unbelievers now. If I don't have a forgiving spirit towards other people, I'm not going to be able to understand God's forgiveness for me. If I don't understand God's forgiveness for me, I'm going to be living in a captivity. Jesus said in Matthew 18, he says, he said, he gave that parable of the man that had such a tremendous debt and his master forgave him. And then he went out and demanded everybody that owed him something, pay him. Remember that? And it says, and the Lord says, deliver that man to the tormentors. If you and I re refuse to forgive other people, the Lord said we will be delivered to, delivered to what? The tormentors. And that's one reason why the Lord's Supper, that's one reason why the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. Because if we're going to ever do good works in Christ's name, we can't be holding anything against people in the church. There's no way we'll do any good works. It will never do, it will never, there'll never be any good works. If there's not forgiveness in God's church with each other. And if God's, listen, if the tower falls on the 18 people, some tragedy happens some way and lots of people are killed. And I'm thinking, well, they must have been more wicked sinners. That's why they were killed. Listen, don't ever think that way. The question is not why did the tower fall on those 18 people. The question is why hasn't the tower fallen on me yet? Do I deserve to die? I tell you, we are on death row. And the only thing that's keeping us from the sentence of death is we are in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the gospel. Every one of us is guilty of capital punishment. We tend to look at other people and say they're, they're guilty of capital punishment. We don't look at ourselves and say, I'm guilty of capital punishment. So all I'm trying to do here is lay a foundation for good works. If we don't understand the gospel and the saving gospel, it's by grace, through faith, and that what? Not of yourselves. God help us that we would never in prayer have the same attitude that some of the Pharisees had. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. God help us. We ought to be praying, God, I am just like other men. Please have mercy on me. That's the spirit of Christ. That's the spirit of the gospel. That's the spirit of salvation. That's true conversion. That's true repentance. That's brokenness before God. If we don't get broken before God, the grace of God is not going to be able to operate. God's grace is a dynamic energy. It's a dynamic enabling. It's a dynamic equipping. It's not just how God looks at us. It's not just unmerited favor. It is unmerited favor, but it's much more than that. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I am in every part of my being. I am what I am. By what? By the divine enabling of God. So if somebody gets a blessing in any way from anything I've done, I guarantee it's only the grace of God. It's only the life of Christ. That's why the Bible says, let him that glorieth make sure he does what? Glory in the Lord. It's amazing what God can do when none of us will take credit for it. Amen. And I tell you, I'm a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I tell you, I thank God for people's patience with me. Long-suffering with me. If God is long-suffering and patient with us, every one of us, we should be long-suffering and patient with each other. Amen? And listen, when we talk about good works, the greatest good work is the work that God does in your soul. Inside, not outside. If God doesn't do that work inside, some of what we do outside is going to be blemished and it's going to be, uh, it's, not going to, it's not going to be a good work because it's not coming out of a right heart with God. The greater work, I, I, and when I get to John 14, which will be shortly, Jesus said, if you believe on me, greater works than these you will be able to do. Well, the greater work is the work in the soul through his power. Through his word. It's not just a material blessing. I mean, it's one thing when we can be a material blessing to other people. But I guarantee you, if somebody can help another person find peace and rest and joy and victory in their soul through Jesus Christ, that's the greater work. Amen? May God help us to get this in our soul, in our spirit. Now, Father in heaven, we ask your forgiveness for any disposition, any attitude of heart that would say, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. And we have this attitude, as I'm sure I'm glad God let me run into you. You need so much help. Man, alive. I'm so glad I run into other people because I need so much help. I need help. I desperately need help. We all desperately need help. It doesn't matter how far we've come. When Paul thought about, and I think about this as far as the new year, it's not how far we've come, it's how much further we got to go. He said, forgetting those things. Forgetting those things about, are behind your failures and your successes. I press towards the mark. And I've got a long ways to go to reach the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So as we come to your supper and we think about our communion with you, Father, if there's anything in our mind, anything in our heart, anything in our thoughts of ill will towards somebody else and we have not forgiven them, I pray you'd do something supernaturally today that we would be able to partake in a worthy manner, not because we're good, but because we're forgiving in the same way that God forgives. 
So we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.